Isaiah 40, we'll read verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. So far from Isaiah, let's also turn to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 3, and we'll read verses 1 through 17. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Licinius tetrarch of Abilene, During the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of our God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. 
Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So far, the reading of God's word. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 76. Our text that we want to focus on this morning is from Isaiah chapter 40, the verses that we read, verses 1 through 11, from this prophecy nearly 3,000 years old. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we anticipate celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ in just a few days, it would be appropriate for us to stop and reflect on what it actually means to wait for Him. And what's involved in this waiting, in this anticipating Christmas. Now, of course, we know we're not waiting for the birth of Christ in the same way that the people of God were in the days of Isaiah. Uh, He has already come. We know this. We're not surprised by that. Uh, He has come more than 2,000 years ago. Uh, But our purpose here as we reflect on Isaiah and as we uh, practice waiting for Christ, our purpose is to prepare our hearts, or rather let God prepare our hearts so that we may remember and celebrate His birth with the right frame of mind and the right posture of glad worship. And that that does take some preparation. You don't just stumble into Christmas and and then manage to celebrate it rightly. It takes work. It takes some preparation. And the great message of this prophecy that we read from Isaiah 40 is that there is a proper way to prepare for the Lord. And even though that prophecy came before Christ's coming, and we now stand 2,000 years after His coming, yet for us too, the message of this text remains very much the same message. It's the call to prepare the way for the Lord. So that's what we want to reflect on this morning. What does it mean for us to prepare the way for the Lord? You'll notice that there are four voices in our text, and that'll be sort of the structure of the sermon. Uh, First, in verses 1 and 2, there is the voice of a comforter, one who speaks words of comfort. Then in verses 3 through 5, there is the voice of a prophet calling out, prepare the way for the Lord. Then in verses 6 through 8, there's the voice of a teacher, the voice of wisdom, reminding us that the nations are like grass. 
And finally, then there's the voice of a herald, one who goes up to proclaim good news. So let's listen to each of these voices. The text begins with comfort, and there's a good reason for the text beginning with comfort. If you read the surrounding context of this prophecy, uh, you'll realize uh, that, that at the time this prophecy was given, the people of God were actually headed for some very, very dark days. Uh, up until this point, if you're reading through Isaiah, uh, particularly in the chapters before this, it's been an endless stream of words of judgment, uh, accusations, God calling out the sin of His people. Uh, it's the voice of a judge reading out the charges. You've done this, and you've done this, and you've done this, and you will be judged for it. And, and, and the charges just keep on coming until we as the readers are almost just wasted before them. We're exhausted. We can't hear them anymore. You almost picture a defendant standing before the judge as the charges are are being read and hearing the sentence read out for every charge, 15 years for this, 20 years for that. Uh, And and the defendant, their knees just buckle out under them and they collapse before the weight of the sentence. Well, that's the context for this prophecy. And it's in that context then that the word comfort suddenly breaks in. Comfort, comfort my people, says our God. If you remember the old King James Version, uh, enshrined also in the hymn that we sing uh, based on this text, uh, the old King James has comfort ye, my people. And the ye is actually an important word there. It was added for a good reason because this command to speak words of comfort is not given to Isaiah. It's given to a plural you. Uh, that is, to the leaders of God's people, to the elders, the priests, the prophets, all of those who speak, God's command now to them is, speak ye words of comfort to my people. If you know what's coming, then you know there's nothing they're going to need to hear more at this time than comfort. Now, this comfort is a forward-looking comfort. It's not an immediate comfort that will be enjoyed uh, in the near future. From where Isaiah was standing, uh, certainly he could not say uh, words of comfort, that is, your warfare is ended. Uh, The warfare was just about to begin. Uh, But it's a forward-looking comfort, one that looks beyond the completion of all the sentences Uh, of all the judgment, looks beyond to a day when it will be over. And God wants his people to know that. There will be a day when it's all over. Uh, when, When you are broken by what's coming to you, when your sin and your pride is finally dealt with, then know that there will be a day of comfort on the other side. And so God says to the leaders of his people, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The precious message right at the heart of this text is that even when God disciplines, even when God disciplines severely, he does so with the purpose of ultimately bringing comfort to his people, of pardoning their sin and restoring them and bringing an end to all the discipline. 
Uh, Lest we should think as we read through the prophets, hearing all of the accusations and, and condemnations, lest we should think that God is simply angry all the time. Uh, with our sin, uh, and reads out the charges for no other purpose but to condemn, uh, we should recognize here in this text that God's heart towards His people is to pardon, is to forgive. Uh, Though He would be just to condemn, and He shows that by condemning all of the surrounding nations. There's there's no comfort for them uh, revealed in, in this prophecy. Yet, His purpose for His own people is to comfort them when the discipline is finally over and the rebellion is finally gone. So there is a voice of comfort. Uh, But with that voice, there also comes a voice of warning coming from a prophet. Uh, if If you think about it, if God is going to come and deliver His people, that is indeed a comforting thought for those who have been brought low. It's a comfort for those who are ready To be comforted. Uh, For those on whom the discipline of God has had its effect. Uh, But make no mistake, if God is coming, though He comes to comfort, if He is coming, woe to any who should not be ready to hear words of comfort. Woe to any who should stand in His way. And so there is a second voice, the voice of a prophet, crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Uh, This image of mountains being brought low uh, is actually one of the great themes of the book of Isaiah. Uh, If you read through the prophecy of Isaiah, you find these mountains coming back again and again. Uh, Right in the beginning in chapter 2 of Isaiah, uh, we are introduced to this idea where God says uh, in in Isaiah 2 verse 12, The Lord of hosts has a day. Against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up high, and it shall be brought low. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, and against all the uplifted hills, against every high tower, and against every fortified wall. So this is a big theme in Isaiah, God bringing low the lofty mountains. And you'll see this image coming back again and again, especially in in chapters 40 through 49 in that section. Uh, The mountains and the high places, uh, the the uplifted and, and high towers and fortified walls, what they represent is the pride and the power of man. It includes, it includes both the pride and power of the nations. You think of Babylon, Assyria, Egypt, uh, proud, mighty, powerful nations. If you read their annals, you can still read them today as they've been translated uh, from cuneiform. Uh, they're just full of boasting, just boasting after boasting in all their pride, in all their beauty, in all their power. Uh, and so this, these proud and lofty mountains represents the pride and power of the nations, 
But also, as you read through Isaiah, you see it, it also speaks to the pride and power and obstinacy of the human heart, including the hearts of God's own people. Uh, That's certainly what it's referring to in chapter 2. The lofty pride of man who dares to craft his own gods, idols made by human hands. Uh, And these, these fortified walls are the walls of the hardness of the human heart, uh, resisting every effort by God and His Word and His Spirit to break through the defenses, resisting every effort to be, uh, to, to, to be called to repentance. And so now, as Isaiah looks forward to this day of comfort, he also hears a voice of warning. When the Lord does come, Though he comes to deliver and to comfort, he will, on his way, flatten out and demolish and level every proud uh, mountain that still stands against him. Every human heart that still opposes him will be flattened out by him. Uh, So he comes and watch out that in the day of the Lord, your heart not be one of those that is still high and exalted. Every high mountain will be brought low, and every valley, all those who are humbled, will be exalted, will be lifted up. So make way for the coming of the Lord. Do not dare to stand in God's way. Be broken by God's discipline now, so that you may be comforted on the day that He comes. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, He says, and all flesh shall see it. Some of that flesh will rejoice At his coming, those who had been formerly chastened and brought to repentance, but some of that flesh will tremble in fear on the day that he comes. And then we hear a third voice, the voice of wisdom, the voice of a teacher. Verse 6, a voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Now you might ask, why does this voice come now? Why do we need to hear that message? Well, the reason it's fitting and and right for us to hear that message now is because if you put yourselves in the shoes of God's people in Judah and you're hearing this message of there's going to be comfort, but these mountains are going to be brought low, uh, if you're looking at it from their perspective, looking out at the mighty, powerful, proud empires of the world, you might reasonably ask yourself, can God really bring those mountains low? That's a tall order for God to achieve. If we're standing here in the tiny little nation of Israel, surrounded by uh, Assyria to to one side and Egypt to the other, and we're just in the crossroads uh, where these two mighty, powerful empires happen to meet each other, uh, who is our God to say that they shall be brought low? Well, the voice of wisdom looks down from God's perspective and recognizes the truth. These nations are mere grass. All flesh is grass. All its beauty like the flower of the field. The mighty mountains of human power and pride, they look impressive when you're standing down uh, at at, uh, the the bottom uh, looking up. 
But this is where biblical wisdom teaches us to see things from God's perspective, where we recognize really all flesh is grass. And this is one of the most often repeated themes of Scripture. Only a fool puts his trust in man. And only a fool fears the might and power of man. From the perspective of heaven, we realize how fleeting and powerless men are and how quickly fading are the great empires of the world. They flourish like grass. They're beautiful as they stand there. Uh, It's captivating, but it fades as quickly as it flourishes. When the breath of the Lord blows on them, they vanish into thin air. And history shows the truth of that, doesn't it? You know, where's the great empire of Babylon today? Uh, That empire that caused so many people to tremble, that wreaked so much havoc on on this earth, uh, that the people of God even so feared that they abandoned the Lord their God in order to submit to the uh, and and to please the city of Babylon. Well, where is it now? You can actually go see it even today. Uh, You can go to the old city of Babylon and there's nothing there. It's ruins uh, other than some tourism shops for those who want to visit what once used to exist there. Uh, It's perished. It's vanished. All flesh is like grass, and it fades as quickly as it comes. So the question is, why do we then fear so much the power and might of man? Really, the whole purpose of this entire vision in Isaiah 40, from the words of comfort to the words of warning uh, to the words of wisdom, uh, and in the next verse to the words of triumph, uh, is to remind us in the day of the Lord, when the Lord comes and visits His people, and these mighty mountains are brought low and the valleys are lifted up, on that day we will realize how frail we are, how quickly passing is all of the greatness of man, and how great and abiding is the word and the purpose of the Lord God. His purposes stand forever. Ours perish in a lifetime. And the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. The purposes and plans of God will not fail. Now you see that as well when you come into the uh, story of the birth of the Lord Jesus uh, that begins with uh, describing, also in the text we read today, uh, with all the, the different people who were in power in that day. Who was emperor? Who was governor? Who were the high priests at that time? And you look at all these places of prestige and, and power, and then you realize as you trace the story of Luke forward, where is the, the true power? It's in that little baby in the manger. That's the king of the universe, and God will see to it. His purposes stand, though the purposes of all the world collapse and fail. Uh, Even the mighty empires are nothing but instruments in the hands of Almighty God to accomplish His purposes. And so finally we hear the last voice, uh, the voice of a herald in verse 9. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. At the end of it all, uh, when the discipline is over and God speaks his words of comfort to his people, on that day it's a day of rejoicing. It's a day of triumph. Uh, so, so the day that the Lord comes is a day of good news for those who are being lifted up. It's good news for those who've been humbled, for those who've been chastened, 
by God's discipline. Uh, uh, for those who are waiting for the coming of the Lord, his message to them, uh, verse 9, is fear not, behold your God, your God, uh, the mighty God who avenges evil, uh, who gives every sinner his due reward and recompense. Uh, he is your God, with you and for you, for you who hope in him. In a sense, I suppose the proper way to express this is not so much even that God is on your side, but rather that God, through the discipline, through the chastening, has brought you to be on His side. But one way or another, He is then your God, with you and for you, coming to your defense. And behold, He says, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for him. I want to say something about this arm. Uh, in the book of Isaiah, uh, the arm of the Lord everywhere else in Isaiah is, is clearly a reference to the Messiah, the promised Savior, the Son of God who goes by this name, the arm of the Lord, uh, the King who will rule on David's throne. And so that's how we should understand the arm of the Lord uh, as it comes to us in this text as well. Uh, it's not just a a fancy way of referring to God's might and power, uh, but, but in the context is clearly referring to the rule and reign of the Messiah. Uh, and that Messiah, the arm of the Lord, not only rules as king, uh, but also, you notice another message of deep comfort, he tends as a shepherd. He rules as a king, but he tends as a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them in his bosom and gently leads those who are with young. And this gives us a, an indication of the kind of coming that is in view. When Isaiah looks forward to the coming of the Lord in his power, uh, we, might, we might easily be misguided if we were to read this prophecy and assume uh, that, that what we're supposed to expect is some literal flattening out of of literal mountains, uh, some sort of earth-shaking appearance of God. But that's not what Isaiah actually has in view. It's metaphorical, it's symbolic language, uh, like, you, like you find in so much of the prophets, indeed, in the New Testament uh, as well, referring to the coming of God's kingdom. Uh, which will come with the birth of the king, the Messiah. Now that is an earth-shattering kingdom. By, by saying that's metaphorical, we're not downplaying uh, the, the significance of what it means. It is an earth-shattering kingdom indeed. Uh, look at the fact that here we are Gentiles, the nations, those who were the furthest off from God's kingdom having been brought near. Truly, his kingdom has shattered the earth. Uh, but if we're looking here for literal mountains uh, to start shaking or a literal highway uh, to start forming through the desert, uh, we'd really be missing the point, just as we would be missing the point if we're looking for a literal shepherd carrying literal sheep in his arms. Uh, rather, it's speaking of something much greater in visual symbolic terms. And so the scriptures prepare us, what it's preparing us for is the coming of the king, the coming of the Christ this is what the wise men uh, in Matthew chapter 2, uh, even though they were pagans, this is what they also recognized when they saw that star above Bethlehem. It could only mean one thing, the birth of a king and the beginning of a new kingdom. They saw that as a very significant event. 
This is what John the Baptist also recognized when he uh, was sent out by God into the wilderness of Judea, preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's why he takes this this text on his, his own lips when he says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. So what does this mean for us? Well, as we prepare ourselves to celebrate and to remember the birth of Christ, the message of, the people, the message of God to, to his people of Judah then remains very much the same message for us now, even though we are 2,000 years down the road. Uh, because what we're really anticipating and waiting for is not just the birth of the king, but the coming of his kingdom. Uh, And that kingdom, though it has come in some measure, is not done coming. Uh, The kingdom of God is here already, if we've experienced ourselves, the peace uh, that the gospel brings, the transformation of our lives uh, from evil to righteousness that the gospel brings. There is the kingdom of God. Uh, If we've been broken and chastened by, by the knowledge of our sin, as the gospel proclaims, and brought to repentance, there is the kingdom of God. Uh, But the kingdom of God, though it's here, it's also still coming in greater and greater measure. Uh, And and that's why uh, to be comforted uh, by the gospel uh, is also to eagerly wait for and herald the greater and greater coming of the gospel. If this is what God has done for us, and this is only the beginning of what God has done for us, then behold what God will do for the whole world. That's why we sing on Christmas, Joy to the world, let earth receive her king. And that's why the message for us is really the same as it was for the people of God then. Because he comes, let every heart prepare him room. And so even though we live 2,000 years down the road, as we prepare to remember uh, the birth of Christ, knowing what that means, the message for us remains, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And that is, uh, in the first place, a call to the world. Uh, God is coming in his might. His kingdom is here and is coming more and more. And his arm, his son, Jesus Christ, rules for him. And that means that every mountain will be brought low. Every force, every kingdom, every power that's opposed to the kingdom of God will be broken. That's exactly what we pray for in, uh, in, in, as Christ taught us, your kingdom come. The catechism uh, unpacks that prayer uh, and, and interprets it as destroy the works of the devil and every power that raises itself against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. Uh, so the message that we proclaim here uh, as the heralds, as the one who go up to the high mountain, is a message to the whole world. Every mountain shall be brought low. But lest we should fail to see it, it is also a message for us, a call to us as well. Uh, because the image, as we've seen, the image of those mighty mountains does not just refer to the mighty empires of the world, the, the people that are out there somewhere. It also refers to the pride and loftiness of the human heart, which is right here at home. Again, Isaiah 2, verse 12, The Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. 
And that's not just going to happen somewhere out there. That needs to happen in here. Uh, so let me ask, what is the kingdom of Christ encountering as it reaches you? Are there proud and lofty mountains still erected in your heart that still refuse to be brought low? Are, are there fortresses set up in your life uh, and in your home uh, that are still committed to your kingdom over against the kingdom of Christ? Are there any fortified walls that still stand in opposition to his kingdom? Well, make no mistake, the, the only high mountain that we are called to go up is the mountain of Zion, the mountain uh, of good news. Every other mountain will be brought low, one way or another, until all the earth is leveled, and the glory of the Lord fills the earth, and all flesh sees it and worships the one King. And so as we herald the good news of the kingdom, are we ourselves also prepared for him? As his word reaches us day by day, does it find uh, mountains of human pride that still need to be brought low? Well, if so, let God bring those mountains low. Let God bring down what needs to be brought down so that we can rest among those who hear the words of comfort. Uh, your sins are paid for. They are covered. Uh, let us, instead of being among the wolves, let us be among the sheep who have the comfort of being gathered into the shepherd's arms, not the wolves who are beaten down by his rod. This image of the king coming as a shepherd is a, a big one in Scripture. You look at Micah 5 or Psalm 2, and you realize this shepherd, though he tends with his rod, he also beats with his rod. He beats every wolf, every power uh, that opposes him. Uh, but he doesn't come merely to judge or to break down. His purpose is to save and to gather, to hold broken and repentant sinners to himself, to gently lead those who are with young, to raise a new generation, a new people in the fear of the Lord. And so the day of the Lord in the book of Isaiah, it's not just a day of judgment for the proud and lifted up. It is even more a day of redemption for sinners who have been broken. A day of the blind receiving their sight, Isaiah 60. Of the lame being healed. Of a day of chains being broken and prisoners set free from their slavery and imprisonment. That's what the kingdom of God that we celebrate is all about. A day when, the humbled, uh, when those who are humbled and brought to repentance are comforted and those valleys get to be exalted. So brothers and sisters, rejoice at his coming and prepare him room. Amen.